it's that self-learning aspect. I think, you know, I went out and did that and I realized that I didn't know enough to go and just start a proper business. I could sell you some dodgy jeans that would run in the wash, but I, I you know, <laughs> that was my main complaint, but yeah. um, I couldn't start a business. So I'd, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are nurtured rather than nature. They, they learn something, see, see a way to do it better mm. and then capitalize it. A bit like Ying's story, you know, he's, he saw how he could be better and do something better and you capitalize on that. So I, I followed that path really. Welcome to Screw It, Just Do It, the number one ranked entrepreneurship podcast for business owners, entrepreneurs, and those aspiring to be so. The aim of this show is to showcase the world's most inspiring and interesting people who've decided to screw it, just do it. We offer 20% inspiration and 80% education, giving you the tools and advice to start, grow, and scale a successful business. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell, fellow entrepreneur, podcast agency owner with a number one podcast and startup advisor to global startup generator and early stage VC, Antler. Each week, I release two episodes, a Q&A every Wednesday with one of the world's most inspiring figures, plus a solo episode every Saturday where I cover the challenges that all of us are facing as entrepreneurs. Welcome to Screw It, Just Do It with me, Alex, and my very special guest today, Dean Kelly. Dean is a serial entrepreneur in the edtech space, an angel investor, advisor, and growth specialist. He's a seven, eight, and nine-figure serial entrepreneur, the founder of RealizeMe.com, the AI edtech award-winning social enterprise. They help schools save money, improve social mobility, and create diverse environments. He was once the youngest CEO on the stock market as well, and has successfully exited three businesses, including the fastest UK recruitment start from zero to an eight-figure exit in just 2.8 years, aged just 30 years old. So, we talk about a bunch of things, as you might expect. This is a really good story. We talk about never stopping learning, about reading books, okay, something different, that a lot of entrepreneurs are nurtured instead of developing it naturally, and that every business should invest in a good leader, somebody's because you cannot do it alone. So without further ado, screw it, just do it. Dean Kelly. Uh, we're talking about how to win over an angel investor, and I'm joined by Dean Kelly, the youngest ever CEO of a stock market listed company who exited within three years. So we're going to be uh, digging into Dean's story and hearing what good angel investors are looking for uh, in business. But before we do, Dean, would you like to just introduce yourself, tell people a little bit about your background and uh, what you're doing now? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. Good. Thanks. Um, so it's, it's uh, on on Clubhouse. You'll see my my CV looks like a bit of a menu. So I'm probably best described as a serial entrepreneur purely because I've started some businesses, grown them, scaled them, and sold them. And I sold my first business by the age of thirty. It was the fastest growing uh, agency in terms of zero to to exit in just it was like two point eight years. Um, we sold to a PLC. That's how I became 
which was on Motley Fool. It wasn't something I went out there and looked to see right. if I was the youngest. It was very hard to, you know, go for the <laughs> put it on Motley Fool, youngest CEO in the stock market. And and that kind of stuck with a few other things. And so, yeah, run a, run a PLC, turn that around because it, I took over purely because of profit warnings, uh, delisted it from the stock market, built it back up, sold that in 2015. So, uh, my background is recruitment. I started the largest network of recruitment CEOs in the UK, which is Combined turnover somewhere close to three billion. So I get to to, to work with a lot of inspiring uh, entrepreneurs all the time. I've invested in a few businesses. So I've got um, a business called Sourcebreaker invested in, which looks fantastic at the moment. Should get a valuation fifty, sixty million by the end of the year. Um, I've been I've been diluted right down because I was one of the original yeah, yeah. investors, but mm. still phenomenal return. Uh, so a few of those investments, and now I've got um, a. It's a social enterprise. It's an omni stack platform so it's, it's a work, workforce platform for schools i've worked with schools for 20 years uh it's a social enterprise because it helps social mobility we put money back into schools but it's also uh the only platform that removes unconscious bias from the recruitment process which actually is really relevant this week because the guardians brought out some a lot of stories about uh, racism in education etc yeah. so we do that uh we promote that as creating diverse and engaged environments something very close to my heart um, and I've bootstrapped that, which uh, turned out to be far more expensive than I thought it was going to be. Um, and really? Other than that, I've, I've, I work and mentor CEOs. So I work with some businesses. I helped, I've helped a business turn around, but I've also helped a lot of businesses grow. And I'm just about to turn that into a masterclass as well off the back of Clubhouse. So, yeah. Really? Okay. Busy CV there. <laughs> it, it is. And, and what I was just chatting to Ying uh, Tanner, the previous um, uh, we started talking about technology, and then I just said, you know, what attracted you to to a new social media platform like like Clubhouse, and and what because you've been on a similar time to me and Ying as well. We all kind of came on six, seven, eight weeks ago, maybe. But uh, have you always been interested in technology, or is this something not, that came? Not really. I, well, I'm interested in technology, but I'm not one of those got to get the latest app or, or, or anything no. of that kind. Uh, I was invited by Andrew Silito, who I've known yep. known for many years and uh, worked with. And I, I've got to be honest, for the first five or six days, I dipped in and dipped out. And I thought, oh, it's too American for me. Mm, and it's snap. very cheesy. Everyone thanking uh, the Lord and their parents and, and whatever else every time they spoke. And I thought, well, that's just not me. I'm, you know, if I've got value, I'll give it. And then I forget which room I popped into. Um, but, but there was a question that was asked and, and I raised my hand. I went up because actually I thought the person who just answered something similar beforehand had given really poor advice. Mm. And, and I'm one of those people, if I, if I hear it's poor, but I won't call someone out, but I'll just give an opinion and then people can make an informed decision. And I did that. And then I, I, it prompted a few more questions. And then sooner or later, people are asking you to come into their rooms and mod. And, and obviously I do, I do a club with Ying and uh, Harrison and a few others, which it's great because they're not they're not the big 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 rooms. No, like some of those you, you just hear the same voices over and over again. But agree. we get I mean such a great set of mods. Loads of people come in, always offer value, and that's fantastic. And I, I think for me personally, I'm very I'm out there doing meetings all the time. I'm always looking at businesses doing stuff. And lockdown has been really mentally quite tough for me. Even though we do things like this, I it, it's fatiguing doing zooms all the time. I like to isn't it. Yeah, it's not just me then. <laughs> no, absolutely. And you know, and I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm someone who's who's quite disciplined. I get up in the morning mm. uh, when it's not lockdown. I'm up at four thirty every day. I get out, I train. I know you're someone like that gets up and yeah, has, has, has your, your prerequisites of the day that you've got to do. Um, 
and and I, and I found for a bit mainly this second lockdown it, it wasn't wasn't great in my mind and and I think Clubhouse has given me a really good outlet because mm. there's, there's so many great people on there I'm, I'm getting that stimulation that I was getting from meetings although yeah. you've got to be very careful with your time I think I've, I've been quieter in the last few weeks um, because it, you suddenly you've been on it two hours and think right I've got other stuff I need to be doing yeah, yeah, it, it, it happens like that. And I had a conversation with like Maria Hatsistefanis, who runs a hundred million dollar company like like Rodial, and she literally asked for my advice. And I'm like, "What are you asking me for advice?" She's like, "I literally just hit that fatigue point, and can you advise mm-hmm. me?" I was like, "Oh yeah, everybody hits that." And then you literally just get mindful with your time, and otherwise it runs you, and you're not running it, isn't it? Very, yeah. very, very true. Yeah, and, and and that's I think you know just just as you put out there, that's the nice thing about it. There's so many different people with different backgrounds and I've always been one I can learn from anybody and I love yeah. learning and um, I like to sometimes just sit in the background in, in some of the rooms where I don't actually know anyone because then you don't get called up but that's you right. can listen a little bit to the information that's being given and the values being given some some's fantastic some's not so good but mm. um, I like all I think everybody who's who's a regular on that platform loves to learn and, and I see it as a learning platform more than anything else it is networking but very much a mm. learning platform. And that's your your background, like you say, working with schools and education. Then, so that's clearly something that resonated when you first uh, yeah, came on it, that as well, to a certain degree. It did. Yeah, I've I've done um, on on a Friday. I do an education room, um, not not my room. I've been asked to join it, and actually, it's always been about uh, diversity and inclusion and um, about uh, racism in schools and stuff. And so, I've actually brought some senior leaders from education outside and brought them into clubhouse and said look you need to be on this because okay. it's a debate worth having mm. and it's quite hard Ed- education I mean, on twitter they get you know if they say something that's not you know backed by the unions or whatever else they get trolled and it, it can be yeah. quite an aggressive place you don't get that on clubhouse you get to voice your opinions you get to debate it and you know if you're reading 147 characters it, it can be taken the wrong way mm. so I've, I've seen it i've seen it as good for that and i've, I've you know I, again been able to uh, step up and speak about the things I know in my market. I'm not a teacher. I've never been a teacher, but I have worked with some of the biggest school groups in the world and in the UK as well. So for I've, I've got an understanding of infrastructure and how they work. And I've not got that, I suppose. Sometimes I see it as an insular mindset when they're inside the school. They don't really know what's going on in the real world. Mm. And and that's that's quite hard to break because public sector has that inertia which, you know, it's always been there and it's something I'm trying to break with my platform, which hopefully COVID's been a bit of a catalyst for, not that, you know, I've enjoyed lockdown in any way. But, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's, it's definitely something that interests me because I like the learning aspect of it all. Yeah. And when you yourself started out uh, in business, did you take the typical journey of after school you started working for, for other people or did you just start your own business Early, early on. No, I, I, well, it depends how you look. <laughs> if you ever bought some dodgy Ralph Lauren and Armani jeans in North London, they probably came from me. So that's probably, <laughs> that's probably my first business. Um, I, I, I've always been entrepreneurial in terms of I've, I've always tried to buy and sell things and and whatever else. Um, I come I come from a council state in North London. Uh, had had smart, mild ambitions of being a pro footballer. I got picked up by Chelsea when I was younger, but wasn't good enough. Boxer, I'm short with short arms, probably not the best mix. Right. <laughs> so I, I, I had this sporting background, but I was always always like that, always had that mindset. Um, but I, I knew business was, was going to be a way out of my background because, of, you know, my friends and 
people they were going just down the wrong path. A few of them went to prison and whatever else, and I decided that wasn't going to be for me. So I started to kind of invest in myself and learn. Uh, I started buying EFT. You know, my mates are reading The Sun and Viz and Bino. And, um, Viz. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and I'm reading the EFT and they're like, do you understand it? No, but one day I will. Yeah. I even bought a book and I've still got it. I gave it to my son who's doing a business degree. Um, I said to him, I've got, found this book from ago. It was a book on how to understand the EFT. So I got a book. Right. And all these things, because I think the one thing that, the internet's done for people, especially youngsters, is give them access to information and people like Clubhouse and everything else. You, you'd have never got when we were younger. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my dad's an electrician. He's always worked hard, always worked for himself and had some real high, high points and low points over the years. But he couldn't tell me what, what, what happened in the stock market or how business functioned. He didn't have an alumni that I could go and speak to. Mm. So it, it's, it's that self-learning aspect, I think. You know, I went out and did that and I realised that, I didn't know enough to go and just start a proper business. I could sell you some dodgy jeans that would run in the wash, but I, I you know, <laughs> that was my main complaint, but yeah. um, I couldn't start a business. So I'd, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are nurtured rather than nature. They, they learn something, see, see a way to do it better mm. and then capitalize it. A bit like Ying's story, you know, he's, he saw how he could be better and do something better and you capitalize on that. So I, I followed that path really. That's, that's funny that reminded me when you said like reading the ft and i always think back like me and my mates used to go to ibiza every summer and i always remember my best mate now the one i was telling you about who um, was just come back from dubai after nine years he used to read the ft whereas the rest of us would literally be looking at the, the back of the the sun or something and reading like who was playing the next game in the euros the next day who, who are we going to watch we have or oh, three games to choose from today lads you know and now you know he's clearly got the highest net worth of, of any probably the rest of us put together you know so it's, it's, it's interesting and he probably didn't understand it the first time he read it either no and, and and i think life's like that isn't it was it preparation meets opportunity is luck but i've always pre-learning that um i was always on about in my brain right like, correlations if i if i was preparing for something i'd read something and i know a, I, I know a lot of crap you know stuff that probably is never going to be any use to me and my, my wife said why do you read those things i read a lot of contrarian books to you know if, if there's a mainstream business book i'll go and read something different and, and for me, it was, you know, one day that will come up in a conversation or one day that, you know, and a lot of times that's happened and you just make that link and that common ground and you knew something someone else didn't. Um, so that was that was my learning experience. But, yeah, I did, I've, for years I had no idea. And, and I've I've always been like that. If I don't understand it, I, you know, as soon as I, I leave a meeting, I'm out researching. I, I hate not knowing. Yeah. So I go out there. I don't have to be, I don't have to know everything by research often and little. Um, rather than spending, because I think if you if you know something too deep sometimes before you, you you go out and do it as a business, you can you can talk yourself out of it. Um, yeah, yeah. See too many no's and too many objections as well. So yeah, so I'm, I'm always I'm always learning, always always taking something from someone. Yeah, and um, kind of going back to um, the start of your story, or part of the start of the story. T- tell us a little bit about you mentioned like with the motley fool and you you, you know you, you couldn't otherwise you wouldn't be able to find out if you're your youngest ever see it but um to, yeah tell us a little bit about that story and how that came about how did you come to be uh, in that position um yeah. you know and exiting it's, within three years it was um so i, I basically I had, a, I had a moment i i was in recruitment for about three years uh first six months really tough thought i was getting sacked every day it's a bit wolf of wall street back then i was in it recruitment actually i run the network with the chap who was my director then and my boss um and it, and it became a FTSE 250 company but 
uh, I, I suddenly just realized the penny dropped and I knew what I was doing there. Became one of the top billers in the industry, got headhunted to go and take over a, a business that had been started by some recruitment investors. And they, they had about four or five staff about three months in. And, and because I've been interviewed by the Evening Standard just before on Is the Internet Too Hot to Handle, these, these guys must have thought I've been doing it for years. And I'll probably get into this in a minute, people not doing due diligence on your experience. Um, and I went in and, and I took over this business. I grew it to 42 people in the first first 13 months, grew really, really fast, uh, IT recruitment agency. And then just before actually we fell out, I set up a small education agency for them. And, and I, we only fell out purely because I, they'd lured me across with, with shares, as, as with many of these kind of deals. But it was ratcheted. And if you hit this target and this target, you get... And then when you shoot the lights out, they don't want to give it all away. And they're like, right, okay. Hmm. And, and I just, I remember being in the meeting where we were arguing about it. And uh, it only went on for about five minutes. And I just said, look, I thought we was going to have this argument. Gave them my resignation, which they actually ripped up. And I was quite young. I had no idea whether they could do that. I was like, <laughs> I've got to stay. Um, <laughs> no, I get it. Yeah. yeah. So I phoned a friend and he was like, no, don't be so silly. Um, and, I, and, I, and I walked out and then I went off and, and did it myself. But... I think that was a motivator as well. So I set up an education recruitment agency and I just wanted to bring something different to the market. So I, I invented in that market or originated uh, skills gap analysis, going in and looking at workforce and finding unutilized skills, dead wood and making the best mix of their workforce, environment mapping, finding out type of people that would fit well into that space, uh, bundles, all the supply teachers, I'd bundle up the amount of supply days they used right. and sell them in advance, a bit like bundles on your phone. If you're sending text messages, if it was 10p every time, you, you wouldn't send that many. Mm. One with a long message on it, but it was helping them bundle up. And they're all mainstay things in the in that market today. So we grew from zero to an eight-figure exit in, in just under three years. But really, that was, that was a mistake. Shouldn't have sold. Um, but, but I had this big vision of doing more and more and more. And I'd been up against some of the big boys like Capital and Circa and beaten them as a small business. Mm. But we could suddenly be part of this nine-figure business and, you know, we could we could scale and win bigger contracts and there was more of the public sector involved. But, yeah, within four weeks of them acquiring us with a seventh acquisition, they should have two-year profit warning. So we, we had a decent cash out, um, you know, had, had loan notes in there as well, had shares, and they just went boom. Really? Out. Okay, what do I do? And the CEO at the time approached me and kind of explained that they needed to buy us to do the rebank because otherwise they were going to go under. I was like, well, uh, you expect me to be happy about that. Uh, do you want to take over? Do you want to be CEO and turn this around and we'll, we'll work out a new structure and a new deal and add on this? And um, I think because of I had such a nice run of it before then, I was like, yeah, of course, cool, so I can do this. You know, a year's time, we'll be, we'll be back up in the market. It'll be fine. And it was, it was a real learning experience. Very, very difficult. Um, I brought on a, an investor called Luke Johnson who – chairman of channel four at the time and actually it was quite a tough time really because although i got him to invest rather quickly and he, he put five and a half million quid in in well he, he signed to do it in 24 hours obviously we had to replace in shares but mm-hmm. um he was chairman of channel four and and there was do, do you remember the jade goody racism case there? yeah 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 so he was he, you know he was going through this and turned up to board meetings and he was getting death threats and whatever else so mm-hmm. Everything just seemed to go wrong. Then we had a credit crunch. Then we had, was a year later, then we had a comprehensive spending review three years later. It was just a really tough situation. But, yeah, someone someone put that on Motley Fool the day I, I kind of done my EGM and become uh, the CEO. 
and and it just stuck. It was just something that looked nice in the CV and and whatever else. But no no intentions. It was more. I thought I could do it, and, and I was saying this morning, actually catching that falling knife, and it was. It was a plummeting hmm. business, and I caught it, and I, I I restructured it, broke it up, delisted it, built it back up, debt free, sold it in 2015. So we we did it, but it wasn't out of. I, I never had any intention of being a PLC CEO, and and I can't say necessarily I enjoyed it that much because you go from being a business leader and out there and doing all these amazing things to being an accountant going out and seeing institutions and, uh, you know, having conversations where you can't really answer questions because of how it's set up and closed periods and whatever else. And I just thought, what a waste of my time, you know, mm. I'm not safe and turn around this business and I'm being wheeled out because I've got this duty to go and see these institutions. So it was by accident more than anything else. I ended up as a, as a CEO of a PLC. And, and, and after you, you went through that, which sounds like, you know, the kind of archetypal entrepreneurial roller coaster ride. Mm. Did you take, you know, time out to take, you know, a step back and kind of survey the landscape and see, you know, I, I could choose what I want to do next. What do I want to do next? No, uh, oh god, I haven't. I don't think I've ever had it since I got into business. I've not had a day off. Uh, I've actually had one of my records for all the people who work with me is I haven't had a day off at all since 1998. Um, no, really. Yeah. Oh I've had cold, but I just don't take any time off. Um, because wow. I don't see it as work, I enjoy it so yeah, much. Exactly. I, yeah, exactly. I get guilt as well. Uh, it's on, I call it entrepreneurial guilt. We all yeah. get worked hard, and you got to get that, get that, get that balance. But the, the deal wasn't. The deal was a really tough deal to do because it had been a bag of spanners as a business, and then on, on the previous three years to us selling it, it became again the fastest growing business of its in in its sector in profit terms over those previous three years. So. Try to get some competitive pressure with PE as you do. And normally you start with a number and then you'll get the first round, second round, and they kind of die off in terms of who's getting management on their side. So we only went out to those who knew that sector because you get a lot of tire kickers otherwise. Yeah, yeah. And we had nine that had done or been, been involved in deals in that sector. And all nine put put in offers first time around, which was kind of, according to corporate finance, unheard of. They you know, you don't normally get that. And it was purely because my background so it was initially an MBO. Um, I'd, I'd been able to turn this business around because you normally see CEOs have done that and they buy some up there and then the business tails off mm. rather than someone who's, who's brought it back up. So if you've done the rough and smooth, you're, you're a little bit more attractive to them. Um, but we went through the process and got down to one. And as maybe you know, so I, some others will, will know that private equity, if you, if you pick sometimes the wrong one and we, we knew one that knew the market and had put a decent price on the table it dragged out for nearly two years um chipping going back i walked away from the deal twice it became an mbi rather than mbo because they changed the term sheet on me and i gave them one opportunity to get it right they knew what it was about i had 11 letters from them saying this is what we're going to do on this deal i was putting in you know, a few seven figures myself and it, we were going to go on this buy and build and i, I remember sitting in my members club uh, in london and uh, had this meeting and they slid across the table with the term sheets. I mean, said, look, we can't move on this until I get my term sheet because I need to understand who I'm in bed with. Yeah. And, and, and they had a reputation of getting a good turn on a business, but also knocking out their CEOs beforehand because they needed the, the sweet equity, et cetera. And, it, and I mean, it was still a decent deal, but it was, it was about two and a half percent lower than I said my bottom line was. And so I just ripped it up, got up, walked out. 
Uh, all those my members club and they probably had to pay the bill with my club um, <laughs> <laughs> and it was two months before the phone rang again I got a call from the guy who's originated the deal and he's like hi Dean and so listen that is it's not on I can't work with a bit like when I resigned the first time around if this is the relationship and it's how you yeah. want to get off in a relationship I can't be in that relationship because I know that it's never going to be great and it's never going to be solid mm. so help them find a, a CEO did an MBI and then I was able to get away but I did have I had two and a half years of covenants so out the market, which uh, was tough. But I've done lots of other things. I sat, I sat on some boards, did advisory some, for some tech companies. I worked with the Behavioral Insights team with the government, did some, some um, did you? advice uh, advisory on their app. They got an internal app called Be Applied. They're, they're obviously quite famous because they're part of Sage now mm. in terms of you know whatever's going on at the moment. So, yeah, it was, it was an interesting time. And I started, obviously, the RDLC, which now 300 businesses – um, it gave me the opportunity to do all of those types of things and then just kind of plan what I was going to do next. Mm. And what motivates you now then? Same as always motivated me. Um, probably challenge. Uh, seeing something that hasn't been done or I think I can change. Uh, one of the biggest motivators is people telling me that I can't do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the kid who used to wind up at school and say, oh, I'm chicken. You know, but you can't, <laughs> I don't want to go and do something. Um and I think that's it. I've got, I'm always looking for opportunity, you know, and I, and I enjoy, if, I, if, if, if I'm honest, in the last few years, one, one of my biggest skills in, in business was, um, I suppose, my hard work. I've always been a bit had a stoic work ethic and, and mm. hard work beats talent and talent doesn't want to work hard. And I'm a massive believer in that. But I've always been able to inspire the people who work for me. And I, and I only know that from the feedback I've got over the years. People have started their own businesses. I've, got, I've, I've created many millionaires along the way who will send me messages just saying, I just want to say thank you. You know, you were, you were a hard taskmaster, but <laughs> these are the things I've done. And, and it all come from a good place. It was never horrible to people, but I, uh, I always expect more of myself. So I'd, I'd expect yeah. more of them as well. So it motivates me to see other people do well. Um, I, you know, again, this masterclass was something someone's prompted me to do because I get a lot out of that. And I think I, I enjoy now, and I think that's again the, the, the appeal of Clubhouse. I enjoy working with entrepreneurs, buzzy people, because I don't know about yourself, but I, I'm getting older, and you know, generating that energy every day for myself is much harder. Yeah, yeah. If I can nick a little bit of theirs and a little bit of theirs, it really gives me a boost, and yeah. I love that. It gives me a good feeling, and especially especially in this environment at the moment. Yeah, what, what, why do you think the person that I've paddled up with on Clubhouse is half my age? Yeah. <laughs> I'm literally hanging on the coattails to, uh, with the energy. No, I totally get that. I totally get it. It does get harder. It does. Mm, it Even does. though you, you've got a, likewise, a, no one will ever outwork me. I always know mm-hmm. that. Somebody could probably outthink me, but you know, ultimately, I think if you, if you put the work in and you surround yourself with the right people and your, your vision is strong enough, and you don't get distracted, which I was chatting to Ying about, you know, focusing on that one thing, yeah. then, you know, success lies there. And for, for you, interested on, on the angel investment front then, so you must get um, a number of people coming to you uh, mm-hmm. regularly with, yeah. uh, with offers. I was chatting to Rob Moore about this last night, funnily enough, um, but that must happen to you. What, what do you look for now uh, when you're looking to invest in other businesses um, yourself? Is it, um, is it the qualities that you have yourself? Is it the people that you're looking to invest in? I th- yeah, you, you look for some of those qualities. I mean, the hard work, obviously, you're, you're looking for to, to understand someone's makeup, to see they're resilient because business isn't easy. Um, you know, you, you're going to have challenging times. For me, Every business I've invested in has had a good leader. 
um, somebody who's who's inspiring the other people. I, I think to always think to myself, would I want to work for that person if I was a young, hungry, aspirant individual? Mm. And if the answer is yes, then 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 I'm halfway there. I need to I need to understand their market because if you're gonna if you're gonna invest in a business, it needs to be scalable. I don't want, don't want someone who's yeah, I've got 25 percent of Croydon, but that's all we can get. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but we're super niche. But yeah, no one's no one's really gonna make any money out of that. And that for me is just lifestyle businesses. I know there's obviously the term solo entrepreneur or whatever else, solopreneur. For me, below a certain level, it's just lifestyle. Enjoy it. It's still a business, but you're not. You're, if you're an entrepreneur, you're probably going to create different businesses. You're going to you're going to grow. So I'm looking for that entrepreneurial spirit. For me, also in, in most businesses that I've I've invested in, and all businesses, sorry, that I invested in, I like their processes to be defined of what they're going to achieve. They don't they don't need to have done them yet because a lot of that seed investment. Mm-hmm. In all the businesses I've, I've worked with that I've had success with, the businesses I've turned around, it's all been about what I call industrializing those processes. So making sure you understand those operating procedures, making sure that they're resilient, they can load test, that you could you could hammer it if you get this scale and growth because people can overtrade and, and whatever else, um, that they're repeatable and that you can do them over and over again. So that makes it really easy to onboard new members of staff. This is what we do. You can bring them on rather than ones and twos, fives and sixes, you know, and get them in, put them through the academy or whatever it might be and, and bring them into your business. And then there's replicable because you, you can be in one geography and if you want to go and open up somewhere else, like one of the businesses I talked about earlier, Sourcebreak is brilliant. They'll open up in the States, but they've got such amazing processes. It will be slightly different over there in terms of their market, but they can land and expand. And for me, that, that gives you that opportunity to go to Europe, to go to America and, and the Middle East and all these different places with a model that just needs to, I suppose, work with the nuances of that area, but has already got a defined practice. So if I can see that and I can see that in the thinking of the individual and, and a team, you know, it's not just that one person. Who's who's your number two? Mm. Because you could get you could get COVID, you could get ill, you could, you know, what, what's going to happen? I don't want to run the business. So, you know, there's a few factors there, but I think a lot of it comes from that, especially seed investment, that person, that individual. Mm. And and. Tell us a little bit more about the the masterclass and what led you in, into doing that then uh, and, and the motivation and, and yeah. where do you see it ultimately, what, scaling that? It may, maybe. I mean, I'm, I'm still still quite embryonic. I've, I've put together a plan of, of the um, the different things that I've done with some of the businesses, the businesses I work with, the CEOs I work with, and I've seen a lot of those double, triple and you know, quadruple in terms of their earnings, uh, turned around a business that was on the precipice of going under, and I thought, right, okay, I, I've never really put it down as a, as a plan because people are at different stages. So I, I worked kind of backwards in terms of what I was doing and I planned it out. And it was a conversation with Andrew Silito, actually, as I was saying earlier, that he said to me, you know, he knows a lot more about my background. He's like, you need to write a book, right? Mm. You need to write a book. Because he, because he deals with the recruitment sector and works with a lot of CEOs there. He yeah. was saying to me, look, I get so much feedback from the stuff you've done. Um, and, you know, you could put that together as a course. And so I ended up speaking with Lauren on uh, Clubhouse. I had some really good chats with her and she's explained to me about how to put that together. So we, we've started to start doing that. And for me, uh, I want to make sure it's something that can can go out to anybody who's looking to to not just grow, but scale their business and maybe exit their business as well. Because I've, I've also advised on private equity where they're acquiring recruitment companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sold a few businesses. So I understand the whole process and, and that sort of thing. So hopefully we, we get it to something that's again, is industrialized, it's repeatable, it's resilient and, you know, and replicable that we can, we can use it again and again and again. 
um, and, and put a lot of people people through that. For me, I think I'd get a, a really massive buzz from those who've been successful, um, just feeding back to you saying, look, you know, I've got this, this has worked. I see some of the others who run these classes and I just think it's just such, it's such to have that feedback is, is you know, I know, I know it feels a bit narcissistic that you want everyone saying, oh, great, but it's not that you've given value, that all those things you've learned aren't really going to waste or they're not just helping one or two people. Mm. You can help more people. And, and, and hopefully they take that information and use it as it should be used. Yeah, I think otherwise, I think you get to that stage, don't it? You, you, you kind of feel that if you if you keep that to yourself, you're doing a disservice to other people. You get you get impact from it, and maybe yeah. that comes into the. Whereas you, I don't know if you've d- done much mentoring work as well or advising yeah. that kind of thing. A bit, yeah. Um, I, do, I do mentor a couple of people, um, but generally I'm working with their business as well at the same time. So you, yeah. I'm, I'm advisor to their business and helping them, but I'm also helping them on a personal level. And uh, I think you just talked about fitness as well. I've always been a, a fitness freak. And the one thing I get approached on a lot in my group is, is my life balance. Although I think they think it's far better than it is because they see it. <laughs> else, you know, it's a life, isn't it? Oh, they're, they're doing much better than me. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, yeah. But I don't subscribe to the, the, the big drinking nights out. If I go out, I go out, out, but I don't, you know, yeah. other than that, I'm not, I'm not a boozer. Um, I get up early in the morning, I prioritize everything I do and, you know, I make sure that I've got kind of this life balance for my family as well, because I've got three children and a lovely wife and I, and I make sure I give them good quality time. And so a lot of what I do with the mentoring isn't just, this is how you run your business. This is what you should do. Why don't you try this? This is how you expand. But also you need to, you need to get you right as well. So I, I and I've got better, we all do. We get better at it when we get older. Mm. If I looked at me at 27, did I have me right? Not at all. Um, no chance. God, yeah, and and, and I, I was mental. I, I mean, I get five and a half hours sleep as it is now. I reckon I was surviving on twos and threes. But I used to get up and I keep a pad on my and I write stuff down. Couldn't do that now. Wow, is that what you get on like five and a half hours now? You say? Yeah. Well, I've got one of these rings recently. I was looking uh, at that. Yeah, yeah. What's that then? It's an aura ring. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, I've heard of them. Microsoft yeah. guy was talking the other day. On yes. About it, and so I, yes. I was straight on Google got one, and ah. it tells you your sleep patterns, but also when you work out, and tells you to get up. Right. I was listening to it in the car, and I'm like, well, "Can I bloody write this down?" But I'm on a, um, I'm co-modding tonight with Jeanette, and she's got him on the panel, so um, yeah, he's great. Yeah. He's really good. Aura ring. Okay, I'm writing that down now. See. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it, I know I'm not great at sleep, but I think the REM sleep, your important sleep, and I, and it's telling me I'm getting about ten minutes most nights um and i'm in and out and you know i'm awake for two hours during the night and it tells you you've got this restless brain essentially but i have and there's also i don't know know how how people think about this but i got asked once about you know mindfulness and and you know why don't why don't you meditate and i was like i don't really want to switch off my i like my brain Mm. i don't don't like to feel under par and that Mm. moment when i feel a little bit aimless and nothing's going on in my head frightens me yeah yeah I like it being mad. <laughs> <laughs> That's the quote we're going to use, Dane. I like it being mad. <laughs> Do you know, um, have you met like Dan Murray Serta as well? Uh, Brain no, Care, it runs a brain care company, Heights. And uh, again, mm. something that I've never known anything about, but it was fascinating listening to him. And he's got a, an amazing uh, club that he started over on Clubhouse that's got about, I think, 6,000 members. But we've been doing a few events. Um, Mark Whittle, who, who does a Take Flight podcast, and has been mm-hmm. doing, like, peak performance. And we've been having people like um, uh, 
Jamie Carragher, Stephen Warnock from Liverpool on there. Um, Curtis Mitchell, who like ran against, um, you know, uh, what's his name? The 100 metre sprinter. Um, oh, yeah. Okay, there you go. When someone says that, you think it goes. Oh, no, gone. But he, he got like bronze medal to yeah, Usain Bolt, to the fastest man in the world. We've got, you know, Rugby World Cup winners. But like this amazing group, but he's just created this amazing uh, club on there that every time you start a room, there's like 250 people in it instantly for the whole. We're 3,000 people in there on Tuesday night. But it was understanding his business um, and about um, the kind of you know, struggles he's had, but he's created this business where you're actually like feeding the brain with these like, you know, these mm-hmm. these nutrients with these these, you know, packages that they developed instead. Right. And I was just like, I didn't know anything about that. But when he actually breaks it down and explains it, it makes total sense that if you're feeding, you know, your muscles and your and your bloodstream and all the rest of it, that you'd want to feed your brain at the same time. So I found it fascinating. Yeah, it's a muscle though, isn't it? It's like if you don't go to the yes. gym then you're going to put on weight. And if you don't keep your brain shut, and that's what I was saying. If I need to keep my brain shut, I mean, I, an odd thing, um, I'm, I mean, I'm 46. When I was 40 and I, and I sold the, the last business, it was a really draining point. And the day after, you normally have like this kind of down moment. And we've got, got a place out in York and um, I, was, I was with some of my neighbours and just chatting. And one of the guys there, very successful entrepreneur, but he's, I mean, he's 15 years older than me, but he's had ME for the last mm. kind of 10 years. And I've got another friend who's younger than me, very fit and strong, and he he got it. And, and normally it's a long, you know, long glandular fever or long flu or now yeah. long COVID and it's misdiagnosed, but generally that's what brings it on. But I felt shattered. So I went straight to Harley Street when I got back and I got all my bloods done and got them done again. Uh, my cholesterol was really high, but apparently eating 35 eggs a week will do that to you. Yeah. Um, so I had to yeah. cut that down. But, I, I mean, they sat me down. The guy sat me down and just said, you've got, you've got to remember you're not 21. And, I'm, you know, when you talk about what you do and all the things you do, getting up in the morning training, you've got to remember you've got to look after your body a bit more. So now every six months I have my bloods done. Uh, I see where my body is. And I've really started to get more in tune with it because, you know, I don't know about you, if I get an injury, mm. it lasts forever now. Yeah, and yeah. It's the recovery, just, isn't it? It's the recovery. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And the stuff you run off before. Um, and I, and I, that's the biggest thing. I'm, you know, my, I'm – Father first, fitness fanatic second, um, or father husband, and then fitness fanatic second, and then and then it's business. So I've always been more about my my health and my mm. family's health than anything else. So I'm 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 in tune with it these days. Nice, um, and maybe to 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 finish up because I know you you're, you're busy going. Tell us how did you get into um, education and, and and what you're doing now? Then tell us a little bit about that. Mm. Working with all the schools. Yeah, so I mean, get, get into education recruitment again. I'd, I'd interview somebody who was doing it and saw it as a nascent market that I could capitalize on. And mm-hmm. and it was really, really, it still is, I would say, five or 10 years behind, um, you know, recruitment into the IT sector and whatever else. It's, it's, it's just not, it's not done correctly and it's not, not done properly. But the latest idea, um, this, this social enterprise, was more the, it, it, we, we were managing the economies of scales where schools are very fragmented and every other part of the public sector, there's a centralized funding where schools and multi-academy trusts, et cetera, have all their funding at the doorstep and giving them economies of scale, getting the agencies to work better on quality rather than just pricing. And we could create this virtuous cycle. And we actually worked with um, educate, which is part of UCL Institute of education. We put together uh, a paper on how we would use the technology and the profiling in the AI. Happy people are retained people. They stay at work. And, and actually, education doesn't have a recruitment issue per se as a retention issue. It's got 50% of 
uh, new starters leave within five years. Why is that? The onboarding mm. rubbish, the matching's rubbish. So we started to build that out. We won, we won an, an EdTech award for it. Uh, so we've got some efficacy there because we've got this paper behind, which we, we've done with the university. And, and we, we started to grow that out. And, and actually, the unconscious bias was more from the work I did with the Behavioral Insights team. But it was also something I'd seen in the process. There's so much unconscious bias in schools. Um, well, I've got a teacher who looks like that, so they must be good. And we, we, we were recruiters dealing with hundreds of teachers all the time. And I, well, we know they're not as good, but maybe they knew them from somewhere else. And the old one used to be, oh, we played rugby together. Hmm. And it was really, you know, that, that happens. But that's not, I always looked at it, whatever you do in schools, it should be about the children. And I always got on best with the Maverick head teachers or those who set up the Academy Trust that really wanted to make a difference, would go against the grain a little bit. So this, this was to help them do that, put money back in, social mobility, um, and, and, and a lot more in terms of, uh, I, I suppose, their back office, their reconciliation. So with one system, they can control a lot, a lot in terms of all of their recruitment processes in their back office and scaling and, and tracking environment mapping. We we just we just put some numbers together for a uh, an, an LEA, a local education authority, and although we'll save them about two and a half million pounds, we'll also be able to put two hundred and fifty thousand pounds back into their central services. And my my way of thinking is, as long as we're making you know where we need to make on that, mm-hmm. and it's a scalable product, that actually that money should go back down to the children, yeah, yeah. Um, and not and not not get wasted. So it was a bit of a passion as much as anything. Uh, it's turned out to be a very expensive one because COVID has been really tough for us because we just got the traction and got everyone on board by the time schools went, well, look, we're turning it off because we don't know what's going uh, on. Um, right, right. So it's, it's, had, it's had business going through it, but it, it's been tough. But then again, off the back of, you know, recent events and schools going back, it, again, it started to pick up. So, I mean, I'm, I've, I've been frustrated with it more than anything, mm. but I'm very excited about the future of it as well. Yeah, and what are you excited about the most about this year? Uh, now that you know, in theory we've got a roadmap to uh, getting back on track and people getting back into offices or, or staying at home if they prefer. <laughs> I mean, I'm excited about a bit of normality. I like, I'm excited about seeing people again. Um, mm. you know, that that type of stuff. Uh, and I, I, my biggest thing is for the children. I want my want my kids to go back to normality. I don't want them being tested which I see for no reason two or three times a week. And, you know, the stress of it all. And my daughter, especially with girls care and they're more, more diligent. How old, how old are yours? So my youngest is 15, then I've got 17, then I've got 20. So we, we, we had children fairly young. But she's, she's like, oh, have you, sent in, have you sent in my test results? And it's like, God, you know, I just, yeah. just feel that they've stolen at least a year from these children and scared the life out of them. So... I'm really yeah. looking forward to them them getting back to normal, seeing their friends, going out and doing the things they should be doing. Um, and in business terms, my platform, um, I see this as a year where we're going to get traction. I see next year as, as probably the big mm-hmm. uptick for us. Um, a few investments, Ying and I are about to do an investment together, which we're both really excited about. Um, from Clubhouse? From Clubhouse. <laughs> you mentioned that. After, yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it, lo- it looks really good. Someone we've, we've been working with and they, they've got an idea and, um, I think Ying and I bring similar but different skills to to, to the table on that one. So, and we we, we get on, so that that's great. Yeah, um, yeah. So loads of stuff. Sourcebreaker is a brilliant business I'm invested in. I'm, I'm really excited to see where that that goes this year. Mm. It's quite easy to get excited about stuff because yeah. it's been so up and down over the last you know twelve months. But fingers crossed they stick to it. 
Um, you know, I always have this, this this little feeling in the back of my mind that there's a different roadmap in their in their minds, and maybe they're just looking for local elections and then yeah, yeah. type things after that. But I hope I hope not. I hope not. Yeah, no, I, I get the same as you. Like my my girls are um, twelve and thirteen, so it's I, I, you know when you're seeing them. Uh, I think I think for me it was back in January when my youngest had just heard like, like these noises, and I was like to my wife, what's, "What's going on upstairs?" And she's like, "Amelia's doing um doing PE," and I was like in her bedroom and I was like that's just so sad man isn't it you just, like, I just remember kicking a football around a playground or something and you just like to be able to like in a, in a you know relatively small bedroom yeah. as the younger sister <laughs> to just be le- leaping up and down and I was like I literally feel like you like I've had a year stolen away from them so it's, it's really tough I mean I, I, as I always speak to head teachers and, and leaders in education I was I, I actually posted this on Twitter the other day that I had my fifth conversation last week with a head teacher where I said, you know, what, what's it been like going back and is the testing a problem? Well, we're kind of used to bubbles and mm-hmm. testing was a problem for a couple of days, but we've got over that. Biggest problem, child obesity. The average child has put on between one and three stone, you know, primary and secondary schools. And, and wow. you'll, you'll, you'll know from being a sporty person, for those people who, who do put that weight on, it's really hard you know, mm. to get that mindset when they still can't do anything. I think grassroots sports only just started. My, That's my right. Little son's got his first game next Saturday. Mm. Sunday. But they, we were a sporty family, and and they had a down period, and we made them get up and go out and run and do yeah. stuff. Got a gym, and we did all those things because mentally it's it's good for you. Yeah, but I, I do fear for those children that have, have become. You know, they're. they're they're insular. They've they've put on weight. They're going to feel the, the social pressure from that, and then you've got social media. And it's a really tough time to be a kid. Much much harder than it is to, to, to be an adult. So it's, it's, I definitely feel for the children. Yeah. No. No. I agree with you. And um, hopefully, hope springs eternal. And um, spring is here. So um, kids <laughs> going back, etc. But they break already for two weeks. So all yeah, good. No. Wasn't long, was it? <laughs> Wasn't long. Wasn't long. But look, I could chat to you for hours. Great conversation. I'm glad, uh, I'm glad we connected. So first up, big heads up, in fact, um, those of you who've always wanted to start a podcast and you still haven't got around to doing it um, for whatever reason, and there are many, but it's all in your head. <laughs> I'm launching my first ever 30-day challenge, Ultimate Podcast Launch. If you would like me to take you by the hand and join me in a private group where we will uh, speak every day for 30 days, where I'll walk you through the process, pre-launch, launch, post-launch, then simply drop me a message on my Instagram, just one word, waitlist, and you'll be the first to hear about it when we launch it next week, okay? Uh, never done this before. Um, putting a waitlist together because I'm going to limit the amount of people that um, I believe I can work with uh, in a one-to-many environment, which I think will be 100. It might be 50. I haven't decided yet. But come and join me for that, okay? Uh, the end of the year is in sight. Best time to launch a podcast is January. If you want to get all your ducks lined up in a row, do it with me and I will walk you through the entire process. Uh, Been there, done it, made every mistake in the book and helped hundreds of uh, entrepreneurs, brands, coaches uh, do exactly the same, launch their own top 20 podcast. So um, come and join me. Just DM me the word waitlist on my Instagram, which is at Alex Chisnell underscore to get uh, the full detail, to be the first to be let known. So just a, 
a couple of comments on the conversation just had um, with Dean. So uh, really engaging guy. Uh, I'm I'm a lifelong learner myself. I have to say I never stop learning. I think in, in, in the country where I live in the UK, people seem to think as soon as you finish school, uh, that's it. Okay, yeah, that's it. Whereas in America and other countries, got far more open mind to these things. And and I've definitely in uh, in this phase of my life, the last I would say 10, 15 years, I have um, I've definitely embraced this. I've uh, I've taken a bunch of courses, been to a lot of events, and spoken to nearly four hundred. Well, probably over that now. If I include live events, I've probably spoken to over five hundred um, super successful people uh, and found out you know how. They've done what they've done. And for me, that has been the equivalent of a Harvard MBA, um, which would cost hundreds of thousands of pounds or dollars. So I, I never stop learning. I'm a voracious reader. I always have had from a young age. Um, I can go through a book in a day very quickly. Um, but for me, it, it's not about how many books you read or how quick you read them. It's do you take action on the content that you read in that book? Okay. Uh, that is the biggest thing. You've got to learn. And for me, you never stop learning. I definitely haven't stopped learning, even in my, I don't know what sphere of expertise when it comes to like podcasting. I'm still learning all the time. I learn from every launch that we do. Um, and I wholeheartedly agree with what Dean says that every business needs to invest in a good leader. Uh, you can't do it alone. You really can't. You know, those of you who've got your own business, uh, if you're the solo founder, I'm sure you can relate to this. I've always been solo founders in uh Seller found it in my business, and I've definitely got to the stage now where I need somebody else to um, to help me take it to the next level because uh, things are going fantastically well, um, and the growth we're on, uh, I can you know I've identified that position for a while now that I need somebody to take on, um, like a director of operations role, somebody like somebody has the skill set that I don't have you know, um, and a really good leader in that space. So uh, that's me. Uh, if you can you can relate to that, then, um, you know, entrepreneurship can be a very lonely place. Uh, and you've got to, you've got to, you know, have a mentor and or a coach where, you know, you can you can work through that, uh, have, have ideas to bounce off as well and get your team involved as well with their ideas. So look, have a have a great week. Have a great weekend ahead, and uh, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. As always, if you enjoyed it, let me know. Scroll down, hit, write a review. Let me know what you thought, and I will give you a shout out on this show. If you'd like to learn how to launch and grow your own number one rated podcast like this with zero experience, zero knowledge, and zero tech skills, come and join me at ultimatepodcastmastery.com, where I've just launched, for a limited number of people, a brand new podcast membership course. So you'll get access to my Ultimate Podcast Mastery membership course. You'll get my digital workbook, my progress sheet, my launch checklist, and all of the nitty-gritty cheat sheets, templates, and scripts the Podpreneur way. You'll also get weekly live Q&A with me, exclusive WhatsApp group chat, and entry to my private Facebook 
group, as well as access to all my past interviews and trainings with special guests as well. This is available for a limited time for a limited number of people. So once it's gone, it's gone. But if you'd like to learn how to do exactly what I'm doing now, then I'll show you how. Head on over to ultimatepodcastmastery.com. If you found value in this free podcast, all I ask is that you tell somebody else about it. You don't have to leave a review or write a post on social tagging me in the screw it, just do it hashtag. But if you do, I promise to give you a shout out on a future episode and you have my eternal thanks. I'm at Alex Chisnell on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook, plus at Alexander Chisnell on Instagram. Alongside the Screw It, Just Do It Facebook page, this houses the Screw It, Just Do It community and has the most up-to-date information on all things Screw It, Just Do It, including all of our live events. I love hearing from you if you either message me on LinkedIn or email alex at screwitjustdoit.org. I promise to reply. Just give me a little time. Thank you.